Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church, and we just want to welcome everybody joining us downtown, west side, Monterey, Mexico. We just love you guys. And, and if you're new to this whole thing, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. Uh, my wife and I got this whole train started uh, a few years back, and of course, I'm kind of excited because we are in the middle of our brand new series called First Comes Love, and it's about dating, it's about marriage, it's about parenting, all the fun topics. And, you know, especially around Valentine's Day, I, I thought, you know, there tends to be a bigger national conversation around just all of these topics. But I, I just, you know, speaking of Valentine's Day, I, I, did you know that the holiday actually started with the martyrdom of a Christian pastor? Most people don't know that, that it started, it, it, which is, it's kind of a dark story, but not a dark story, okay? So St. Valentinus was actually a pastor who was killed for his faith. And for centuries, actually, scholars thought this was a legend. They didn't even believe it was true until all of a sudden they found all this archaeological evidence to confirm it. But you have to understand, St. Valentinus was only one or two generations away from the 12 apostles, okay? So, uh, you know, he actually knew people who were discipled by the apostles themselves. And, of course, in those days, Christianity was very much illegal. In fact, the emperor at the time, Marcus Aurelius Claudius, he was so obsessed with his war against against the Goths, uh, the, you know, the tribes of Europe, that he decided to ban marriage until the Goths were defeated, right? He thought this would motivate people to you know, help us get the war done, right? He thought, hey, let's, let's actually forbid men from being with their wives, which, you know, as if that would go well, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so, and of course, Valentinus, he's thinking as a Christian, well, marriage is an ordinance of God. It was designed by God. You can't ban what God has ordained. Besides, it's not good for man to be alone. God himself said that, right? So, uh, you know, so what he started doing was he started performing hundreds of secret Christian wedding ceremonies. And, and he was using it as an evangelistic tool, and he was known for using Christian marriage as a tool to lead people to Christ. And if you're out there and you're like, well, why would that cause people to want to become Christians? Well, you have to understand, Hellenistic Romans were downright cruel to women. In those days, you know, women... To the average Roman, women were actually viewed as property. In fact, men were even taught that women were half animals as opposed to men. Right. Okay. But, but literally, they, women were barely allowed to leave the house. They were, girls were married off by age eight. Can you imagine that? Um, by age eight. And if a Roman family happened to have a second daughter, they were required to put them to death. Okay, so uh, there, were no, there were no sisters in Roman culture for the most part, okay? If a Roman family had a second daughter, they, they practiced infanticide. Um, and so in, in Bible days, a lot of people don't realize this. In Bible days, there was a disproportionate amount of men, okay? The idea of a widow was almost unheard of, okay? Only in a Christian church would that be something that would even happen, right? But you have to understand... Christians were the first to actually take a stand against these types of things, okay? So they were the, Christians were the first to say, let's create a minimum marrying age for women. You should not marry off your women before age 13, okay? And believe it or not, Christians were seen as repressive for having a minimum age for women, for marrying. Uh, and then they were the first to say, hey, let's stop infanticide both for men and for women, for boys and for girls. And then they were the first to start advocating for 
female education, okay? So this was a significant upgrade for women. Not surprisingly, the early church had a crazy number of female converts, okay? So the vast majority of early converts to Christianity were, were female, okay? And because there was an overabundance of men and all the ladies were Christian, guess what? If you were a guy and you wanted to be married, you had to convert in order to flirt. You know what I'm saying? You had to put your hope in order to scope, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, so Valentinus knew this, and so he used that as a, he milked every part of that to lead all these people to Christ. Well, over time, the authorities found out what Valentinus was doing, and he was arrested. And this trial was obviously very scandalous in Roman culture because not only did it slow their war effort, but the more people con uh, converted to Christianity, the less people would go to Roman temples, which is how he got taxes for the war. And so they saw this as, you know, a betrayal, right? And so even still, his History actually says that Valentinus was so winsome and so disarming that even in front of the emperor, he almost persuaded the emperor to drop the ban on marriage. But uh, eyewitnesses said that, say that Valentinus pushed too far. He actually tried to push the emperor to receive Christ, and the emperor suddenly got offended and decided, forget it, forget it. You, death penalty, take this guy out of here. And so the, he threw Valentinus in a prison uh, on death row. And of course, even in prison, Valentinus was so winsome that he won all of his, his uh, jailers to Christ. And uh, the jailer happened to have a blind daughter who was struggling with depression. And he said, hey, Valentinus, if I brought my daughter to you, would you share your faith with her? Because she really needs uh, some bigger hope in her life. And, and sure enough, not only did his daughter convert to Christianity, but the two fell madly in love, Valentinus and this, the jailer's daughter, right? And so they spent every last day together while he was on death row. And right before his execution, he wrote a final love letter. And he wrote at the end of that love letter, Dear Valentine. And that's where we get it from, okay? So now some of you are like, well, I didn't know that. So, you know, do we have to celebrate it as Christians? No, okay, it's just a gimmick, and it's just restaurants want more money and flowers and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it's just a commercial holiday. Wow, Peter, you just went cynical all of a sudden. Uh, no, I, my, my, I can hear my wife in my head saying, well, Peter, I still want flowers. Buy them anyway. Uh, but uh, she's not here today. She's actually preaching in Denver. But here's the deal, okay? All throughout the Bible, we are taught to guard our affections, okay? Proverbs 4.23, above all else. In other words, if you want to know if this is important, yes. Above all else, guard your what? Affections. These are your desires. These are the your attractions, your passions. Guard your affections for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, there's something inside of us that needs to be guarded, needs to be managed, and it is our affections the Bible teaches. And why? That's why the psalmist actually said, Psalm 26, 1, guard my, or test my affections. Make sure that my affections are in line with those of your word because he wanted to steward his attractions and desires. Now, I, I bring that up because it says two things. The implication is, is that we have the ability to steward them, okay, to alter them, to guard them. And secondarily, if we do it right, you and I are gonna experience life. Now, 
I'll, let's, be, let's be honest, it's hard to do this, right? Because there's all sorts of desires in this life, right? I, I'll never forget the first time I received my first true love letter Valentine from someone, okay? I was in fourth grade. Believe it or not, after all these years, I still have it. My first real love letter from a girl. And uh, yeah, I know. I, I, it's, like, if I could get vulnerable with you guys, I'd like to read this Valentine to you. As a fourth grader, I'm not going to lie, this Valentine lit me up. <laughs> I was soaring for days. It even has stickers on it. And so let me just read it to you. And this is what it says. Okay. It says, Dear Peter, how are you? I really like you. I think you are cute. My friends say I love you, but I'm in the middle of love and like. <laughs> Don't you hate that? You know, when you're in the middle of love and like, it's just, ah, you know, like, ah. Okay, and she continues. I like you as a boyfriend. My friends also say that you're not romantic, so could you please be a little more romantic? Again, she's in between love and like, and she's, she wants more. Okay, so when my wife read that, she was like, that's right, Peter, you gotta step it up. <laughs> okay, it continues. Peter, please don't show this to anybody. <laughs> Oops. Peter, I'm being dead serious. I've had a crush on you ever since the beginning of school. If you do show this to a friend, don't show it to Danny <laughs> or Jason or Ryan V, or Ryan S. Show it to someone you can trust. Wait, I thought she said don't show it to, okay. And then of course, like all great Valentines, do you like me? Check yes or no. My friends told me to put this down, do you love me? Well, bye. And then she signed it, love ya. You know, the love ya at the end really kind of meant a lot to me, especially coming from a girl between love and like, because it showed she's tipping. You know what I'm saying? Like, she's tipping. If she said, I love you, it would have been like so intense, like a focused love, right? But love ya is like fuzzier, softer. And, you know, in the end, I, you know, long story short, it didn't work out between me and that girl, okay? She dumped me two weeks later, which turned out good because I kind of liked her friend a little bit more anyway. Love is complicated, especially in fourth grade, am I right? You know what I'm saying? And, and it didn't get any easier for me in the coming years, and part of it is because I did not know the art form of guarding my affections. I didn't understand it. I didn't comprehend it. I thought your affections were beyond your control. It was something that Cupid either did or didn't do, and you just had it or didn't have it. I didn't realize that I could steward it. In fact, actually, Jesus said, not only can you steward it, but your eyes are the gateway to it. Whatever your eyes are looking at, your focus, eventually that's where your heart is going, and he even said, like, so, like, he took it to the next level in Matthew 6, 21. He said, where your treasure is, where your focus is, there your heart follows. If you want to know where your, your heart is going, just look at whatever it is you are treasuring and focusing on. Your, your desire follows your attention, if that makes sense, okay? So or your, your feelings follow focus. Wherever your, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going, and it leads to what I call the focus principle, okay? And so if you can remember even just three words today, these are the three. Feelings follow focus. Feelings 
Say it with me. Feelings follow focus. The more you treasure something with both your attention and your energy, the more you want it. Okay, now to give you an example of, this doesn't just apply to relationships, this applies to anything, your jobs, your kids, your hobbies. You know, what's funny was, is I, I, I was never into football growing up. I, you know, until actually I moved back to Wisconsin. I, I came from Wisconsin, went to the U of M. Honestly, I didn't know anything about football. In fact, I was an extreme sports guy. I did skateboarding, I did freestyle BMX, I had a half pipe, you know. I, I, but I didn't really know team sports much at all, okay? In fact, this is how much I didn't know. When I went to the University of Minnesota, I didn't even know the Vikings played at the Metrodome, okay? I lived like within, I, I could see the Metrodome. I didn't even know the Vikings played there. Um, I never watched TV, but then, you know, of course in Wisconsin, there was like literally nothing else to do. I kept getting invited to these football parties to this cult called the Green Bay Packers, you know what I'm saying? And, and so then I started getting, you know, into it, right? And it was kind of weird because I was like this bohemian hippie that had a secret obsession for football over time. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, my wife was like shocked. Like, what is happening to my husband? Is he really turning into a football guy? I did not marry that guy. And, and yet he's turning into it, right? And then one time she saw me crying to an NFL film. And, and she's like, are, are you crying? No, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm sweating. You know what I'm saying? Like, because that's what guys do. And then one night she caught me surfing the web looking at NFL statistics, and she was like, What are you doing? Like, who are you? And and here's what was happening: it was the focus principle, right? My feelings were following my focus. My desire was following my attention. Where my treasure was, that is where my heart was going. And and if you would have asked my wife in college, hey, do you ever see your husband getting into fantasy football? She said, Are you kidding? You know. Uh, there's no way he's going to do that, right? And so I say this because you ladies, you think you're marrying some sensitive non-sports guy. You just He might turn out to be a football guy. I'm just saying, you don't know, right? But my point is, if you nurture anything on a regular basis, your desire for it and your pleasure from it will increase, okay? And so if you attend to your job, your hobbies, your kids more than your spouse, guess what? Your desire for it and your pleasure from it will increase, right? Your feelings follow your focus. Now, here's why this is so important is because a lot of you who are like long-term married, come on, anybody married in the house today? Those of you who are married, hey, you might act a little different after you get married and, it, and it's hard to kind of resist this, but when you were dating, you know, like you were, you were constantly thinking about things like what outfit would they like to see me in the best? You know what I'm saying? Your focus was on the other person a lot, right? Now you're like, shoot, should I even shower? Well, they even know I slept in this, you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what happens to couples is they fall out of focus, right? Careers get busy, babies happen. I'm not gonna explain how, you can ask Pastor Chad if you're curious. Hobbies, they start to crowd out date nights. And, and, and suddenly people come up to me after they've been married a while and they're like, Pastor Peter, Pastor Peter, I think I married the wrong person. No, you didn't marry the wrong pers- person, you just fell out of focus. And you can't do that. Your feelings are just going in the direction of your current focus, okay? In fact, actually, that's why the Bible says in Genesis 2.24, a man will leave his father and mother and be united 
to his wife, okay? The word united in the, in the Hebrew, when it's translated, it actually means, the, the general gist, it means to cling like violently. It means to catch by pursuit. In other words, you are united in, in, in proportion to your pursuit, okay? So your unity comes through dating, through pursuing, through catching, through clinging. You get the idea, your feelings follow your focus. Don't fall out of focus. There's a verb here that, that results in unity. And, and here's, here's how this uh, like all, uh, like uh, it, it relates to dating, okay? A lot of single people, they, they talk about what I call the, the attraction myth, okay? Now, I used to call it the compatibility myth, but I, I think it confused people. So I, I call it the attraction myth now, and it's this. The, so when people are dating, a lot of times they think that marriage and attraction is, is 90% based on compatibility and 10% hard work, right? I mean, like, if you want to have true love, it's in the shopping phase. You just got to find the right person. You got to look for your, what do they call it, soulmate. You know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, like, as if somehow it's in the shopping phase, but the Bible actually teaches, no, you know, your house is actually built, okay? In the olden days, you actually had to build your house. And you didn't shop for a house, you built it. Okay, so, you know, they believe that, that by wisdom a house was built, the Proverbs say, right? Well, marriage and attraction, a lot of times there's this myth that marriage and attraction is, is all about compatibility. Either you have it or you don't. Either Cupid shot you with his arrow or he didn't. And don't get me wrong, there are people that you're not going to be attracted to. But I, I, you get the idea uh, that, that, that it's actually a myth because it's, it's flip, okay? It's flipped. Like, a lot of times... People think if you found the right person, everything will just magically work, right? Attraction will just always be there. Fighting will naturally be minimal, and you're going to be finishing each other's sentences. You are just going to start talking. You know, honey, I could really go for a chicken pot pie. That's right. I already cooked it. Why? Because you're soulmates. You just, your heart just pounds out like Morse code subconsciously and you can just read each other's thoughts and it's just, it's like a love frequency and either you met that person or you didn't, right? Either it worked for you or too bad, so sad, right? As if, as if that's really how it works. Here's, here's the truth. It's the exact opposite of this myth, okay? It's, it's marriage is actually about 90% hard work and 10% compatibility in the shopping phase, okay? In fact, actually, the longer I, I have been married, the more I start to think about it a lot different. It, it's almost funny to think about the things that I obsessed over as a single person. And, you know, now that I've been with my wife a little over 31 years, I, I think about that. You know, a lot of single people, you know, they're obsessed over the silliest criteria, right? They're like, does, does she share my passion? you know, for whatever it is, right? And yeah, you know, there are basic compatibility issues that couples do need to look for. And if you're interested, I, I actually wrote a blog called Dating Without Dying. And if you're interested, just go to peterhaas.org and just Dating Without Dying. I share all, all the different research-driven stats on, on healthy dating and then, and then the Bible as well. Um, but, I, but, you know, hobbies and passions 
are not the key to a great marriage, okay? It's, it's more fundamental things, like can you be best friends with this person? Are they remotely attracted to you? I think that, you know, again, a baseline. Uh, you know, are they free of dangerous and self-destructive habits or, you know, self-destructive friends, okay? I, I told my daughters, you know, my, my oldest daughter's married, my second daughter is dating, but I, I told them, hey, don't just look for guys that say they love Jesus, okay? Look for guys that demonstrate it by, you know, do they have at least four to seven good Christian friends in a ministry, in a, a weekly ministry in a local church. People that have, a, those are the top two predictors of spiritual growth. And they're also, the, 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 anybody that has less than four Christian friends in a weekly ministry has very low odds of serving Christ over the long haul, statistically, okay? So I, I told my daughters, hey, don't just find someone that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Find someone that actually lives it out. And because uh, again, just if you're looking for that kind of research, just check out Dating Without Dying. I show all the different just research-driven ideas behind all of this. But I got to be honest with you, behind, beside, if I was to set aside those fundamental criteria, if you got to know my wife and I, we are very, very different people. Okay, and when we were dating, that kind of messed with me. I, I wasn't sure she was the one because I just, we are so different, okay? In fact, I even have a, a picture of us. There, there's a 30-year difference between these two photographs, okay? 30-year difference. And uh, you, can, you can see, you know, my wife is still cute. I just, you know, lost hair and had glasses. So, uh, but I, I just... You have to understand, like, when, when my wife met me, I was this, like, poetic, you know, songwriter. Again, I was the antithesis of a sports guy. I, you know, like, I was obsessed with music. I played the cello. I played the piano. I played on my guitar all the time. And I would write poetry for her that she could not appreciate whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? I wrote songs for her. In fact, actually, that's how I bought her wedding ring is I won a songwriting contest and then I bought her wedding ring uh, with the money. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, she can enjoy those things. She's not gonna say, oh, you wrote a song for me, interesting. You know, like she, you know, she can appreciate it, but you know what I mean? She, to be honest, her real love language is acts of service. She would rather me unload the dishwasher than write her a poem, you know what I'm saying? Like she, she would rather me wash her car and uh, you know, not, she didn't, again, she, she wasn't against it, but I would like write her Shakespearean sonnets, okay? You know, I would write her like, here is a sonnet that I made uh, and I wrote out with a plume pen on homemade paper that I made out of the leaves that fell from the trees on our first date. And she'd be like, thank you. Uh, you know what I mean? She was just not into it. And, and, uh, but you have to understand, like, you know, that Peter there, I was looking for like a, a, a deep, melancholic, pensive, melodramatic woman. You know what I'm saying? Philosophical, who could analyze foreign films with me, who could sit in the dark and write broody songs under the stars. Really, I was kind of looking for someone who was exactly like me, except without the ability to grow a beard, is really just honestly, uh, you know, and it kind of messed with me because Carolyn just didn't fit, you know, my image of a soulmate or maybe the, the Hollywood version that I'd somehow caught, and she just, she didn't fit that, and so I was like, ah, I don't know, I don't, like, what, you know, so eventually, you want to know how I figured it out is she dumped me, and uh and she said, I'm done with this one. And then I'm like, oh, please, come back to me. Here's a sonnet. Okay, I'll wash your, okay, I'll wash your car. You know what I mean? Like, I, I had to figure it out, right? 
And eventually I realized she was the one, but I, I just, you know, I, so then maybe you're like, well, wait, if, if that's true, if all this is true, then, then Peter, why in the world did you marry her? Well, here's the thing. I, I realized that 90% of the things that make a great marriage have nothing to do with those superficial criteria. I, I realized the real problem in my life was something called the God-shaped hole in my life, okay? I realized there is a God-shaped hole in my heart and there's one in your heart as well, okay? And, and there's a huge portion of our souls that can only be fulfilled by God. And you can try to fulfill that with your job. You can try to fulfill it with, with sex or relationships or hobbies, but over time, it's not gonna be a long-term fit. It's kind of like those little shape-shoving toys you had when you were a kid. You can try to jam the triangle in the circle hole. It's, you know, you might be able to get it in there unnaturally, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think you all know, listen, there is a part of you that only God can fulfill. And so until you put God in the proper place, in the proper spot in your soul, um, you're always going to feel restless and you're always going to put more pressure on your, your spouse, on your opposite, than they than is necessary, and, and you're gonna realize there's really only one soulmate, and the name of that soulmate is God, or the Holy Spirit, okay? So let me sum it up like this. Here's, here's an important principle I need you to understand. My spouse is not my soulmate, rather they are my co-adventurer. Co-adventurer, okay? Well then, who is the adventurer? God and his calling on your life is the adventurer. God is your soulmate. Your spouse is the co-adventurer on the great and glorious pursuit of God. And think about it. God goes on forever. You're going to forever get to know him. He has so many miracles he wants to show you. He has so many mysteries he wants you to discover. But again, you want to go on that adventure with your co-adventurer. And when I realized this, it actually eliminated a huge amount of pressure out of my relationships for the first time in my life because instead of putting the pressure on that person to be God in my life, to fulfill me, to captivate me, to constantly keep my life interesting, you know what I mean? I, I've put God in his proper place and all of a sudden I discovered the person that God had set next to me, right? In other words, you know, I, instead of putting all my burdens on them, I, I went to God. Instead of nitpicking each other to death, we go to God and, and here's what happened. And it's so beautiful. Instead of fighting your own team, okay, you fight the enemy. Think about it like this. I call it sideways energy. Like it, to use a football metaphor, you're going down the field. You can fight with your teammates or you can fight against the opponent. And who's the opponent? The devil. And everything that obstructs you from fulfilling the call of God on your life. I think a lot of people, they waste a lot of time with sideways energy because they still have these idols in their hearts. They still have these weird ideas about, you know, how is relationships supposed to work because they don't understand who God is. He's not in his proper spot and they don't understand the focus principle. And I, I just, you know, I, to be honest, you guys, the only reason why substance exists is because I figured that out, and instead of having this sideways energy with my wife, we were able to take that energy and put it on the call of God, and as a result, we were fruitful. Are you hearing me? I believe that God wants to do the same thing in your relationships as well, and I, I just, you know, instead of pursuing her as an idol, 
or as an addiction, I pursue the call of God on my life. And I, I just, you know, the, the truth is, if I did find the girl that I was originally looking for, it would have been a disaster. In fact, we, to this day, we'd still be sitting in a dark room strumming on guitars, feeling depressed together. You know what I'm saying? There would be no substance, I guarantee it. You know what I mean? Why? Because I needed, I, I needed God knew what I needed in my life. And, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I'm not attracted to my wife. I have more passionate attraction to my wife than I have ever had in my life. Like, despite all of our differences, she's always been my best friend. And, and, and like all healthy people, we've made the choice to always move towards our common interests. If there's, a, if there's something that we can find in common, we'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? We didn't, we're not natural. We don't think alike, but we have learned to think together. And I think that over time, when you learn to think together, God all of a sudden dumps this love on your life. He starts dumping passion into your life. Besides, come on, uh, let's be honest. The one constant in life is this, change. Even if you do find someone who you are very similar to, listen, life is going to throw curveballs into your, into your relationships. It happens with everybody, okay? There's, there's unexpected emotions that arise, right? Your hobbies will change, right? Your body will change. There's going to be weight gains and there's going to be weight losses. There's going to be identity crises. There's going to be diagnoses. These are called life. In fact, last week, I, I showed you a whole bunch of awkward photos of my wife and I going through 40-pound weight gains and then 40-pound weight losses. And I wanted to show you the awkwardness of the last 31 years because there's something I need you to understand. Life is filled with awkward, right? And I know that I made a lot of it kind of sound funny. I, I kind of made light of it. But let me tell you, there were some dark moments that happened behind some of those pictures. There were a lot of moments where my wife was not attracted to me and vice versa. But at some point, we had to make this decision. Am I going to live according to my emotions or are my emotions going to live according to my focus? Do you see the difference? God has given us the ability to guard our affections and actually alter them. And I, I say this because there's a crazy amount of research, major secular university studies that show that you actually do have the ability to steward your affections. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I had to learn how to date my wife. And I didn't even know that when I married her. I had to learn it and vice versa. She had to learn it with me. And, and over time, you know what? God started reigniting that flame. Emotions are cyclical, but the good news is if you're focusing on the right things, they just surge again. And all of a sudden I was madly in love with my wife, except even more than I was on our honeymoon. I'm telling you, God can reignite that in all of you. I, I just, I even started to get jealous again. Come on, you know what I'm saying? I still get jealous. <laughs> Nick Jonas, anybody? No? Okay, never mind. Uh, you know, I, I just, for real though, I, here's where we're going with this series and I need you to understand this. Over the next couple weeks, I'm gonna show you the habits of treasuring. The habits of treasuring, how to treasure something because your feelings follow your focus, right? Well, I'm gonna show you how to treasure the habits of treasuring. And these habits, I'm telling you, they're not only gonna restoke your marriage or maybe your future marriage, it's gonna change how you think about dating. And, and guess what? It's gonna change your walk with the Lord because these same 
these same habits of treasuring will cause you to fall in love with God's word and fall in love with prayer. It's the same skill sets, okay? And they, they have slightly different applications, each one of them. But I'm telling you, listen, you can guard your affections and, and I'm gonna prove it in the coming weeks. Everything from sexuality to hobbies to your passion for, you know, maybe even alfalfa sprouts. Some of you are like, I need to eat healthier. I'll, I'll show you how to even guard your affections for food because the, the applications for this are actually quite universal and thankfully so are the Bible commands as well as the research behind it. And I just, I think this is going to be a very, very eye-opening series because some of you are going to find the traction for the first time in your life to live the kind of life that God wants you to live. And I just, I just believe he wants to do that starting right here. And so would you just bow your heads just for a second? Just where has your focus gotten blurry? Just allow God to speak to you right now. Maybe, you know, maybe you're in the doldrums of, of middle age and your career has taken precedence over your, your marriage or your parenting, or maybe your parenting has taken precedence over dating your spouse. Or maybe you're like, well, I'm not even married, but I could say, hey, you know what? My life has gotten off track. I stopped treasuring the Lord, my devotions. And the Lord would just call you back and say, hey, would you seek me? Would you seek me? One thing is for sure, until God is in his proper place, we're never gonna have the, 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 the strength and the willpower to fulfill the great and glorious adventure that he has on your life. So Father, we just put you back into your place. Lord, fill the God-shaped void. If there's things that we have tried to substitute for you, I pray that you would truly be our fulfillment, that you would truly become our joy and that, God, we would just restore you to the proper place. We just, Lord, we acknowledge that we cannot figure out how to live our lives on our own. We need you to live in us and through us. And so right here, Lord, would you forgive us and renew us. And church, if you're agreeing with that prayer, just say that with me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. With all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys.